Amen. Hey, really quickly, can we just thank, don't clap yet till I tell you why. I want to thank Philip because Philip decided he was going to get here this morning at 5 a.m. so that he could turn the air conditioning on so we could get it just like moderately cool in here. So come on. Yeah. What a stud. What a stud. Um, so really quickly, I know that it was just gone over, but it really is a powerful book. What I love about this book is it is that it rightly attaches our struggle with the finished work of Jesus. So it's not on you to figure it out. It's on Jesus who already figured it out. And we just need to attach ourselves to him and allow his resurrection power to work through us. And that's what I love about this book. So it's very practical, but it's also pretty deep. So I think you'll find both, which is awesome. And um, there's plenty of copies. I can get more if we need them. Here's the thing, husbands and wives, Typically, within a couple, one of you likes to read and the other one would prefer to be read too. <laughs> I want to encourage you to both pick up the book, open it, grab a highlighter or a pen. Are you taking notes? This is good stuff. And then as you read, highlight or underline when stuff comes up because the way we do life groups is super simple and it gets everyone engaged. If you come with a chapter of stuff that's highlighted or underlined and you come, it's gonna be very easy for you to engage in the group because you just open it up and go, oh yeah, I read this a week ago, but I clearly underlined that and, and instantly you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that was awesome. Like I can share that, I can read that and then everyone talks about it and it produces this really cool everybody engaging. So these books are for you. They're Drop a tip of $10 if you want. If not, it's free because I want this to be in everyone's hand. We've budgeted so that we can get these books for you guys, for Life Group. So please, please, traditionally, we have a huge attendance for Life Group because we believe in it and it truly is life-changing and it's the place we go deep in relationships. So um, more to come on how to get in a group, but just sort of put that on your radar and the first step is to get a book. Good? So... Um, I want to talk a little bit about the local church, and, and the reason for that is because we're pivoting and transitioning, and every time there's a transition in a relationship or in a business or in a church, it's a great time to revisit why we're doing this. What is this really about? Because it allows us to dig deep into the roots of our core foundations and so I really want to simply say that I believe that the local church is still the vehicle that God uses to bring hope to the world. I, I really do. I believe that what Jesus birthed in, in, in the movement of the church, in all of its facets, is still alive today. It's still growing Across the globe, churches are being planted. They're growing. They're changing societies. I mean, it was, the, the church was literally the thing that single-handedly took down the Roman Empire. Like it wasn't another country that came over and took over. It was within the values of Christianity seen through the local church that eroded the corruption of the Roman Empire. That's how powerful the church is. And so, man, I just think we see it. And it's happening right here in our midst. And, and now we have an opportunity to continue that movement at the Center for the Arts. And so, I, I, and more to come on that. October 30th will be our first weekend there. So we have a few more weeks here, but I'm very excited about what God's doing. So I wanna open up to Luke chapter five. And I wanna 
unpack a familiar passage that's, that's truly one of my favorites. What's unique about this passage is it was the first scripture that I ever preached on in my whole entire life. Um, the first round of it was an absolute disaster. Uh, it, it took me 10 minutes to say everything I could possibly think of to say, and then I froze, and I had like 20 more minutes, and then I just sat down. It was a disaster. Um, and I almost stopped preaching forever at that point because it was just, you fall off the horse once and you're like, I don't ever want to get back on that horse again. But um, my youth pastor was good enough and said, come on, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Uh, so let's, let's give this another try. I went to a small little chapel uh, of about 40 kids and I preached on this passage and, uh, and 20 students give their hearts to Jesus. So you never know if you just get back on the horse and go, all right, I'm going to try again. So I'm going to pick up reading in, in Luke chapter five, and it says this in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, that there was Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. When they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the powerful reality that you're in this place, Jesus, that your presence is permeating Holy Spirit, that you're moving in our midst and opening up our eyes to see. God, you're going before us and removing the barriers. God, you are calling us to rise up past the glass ceilings and things that have kept us down, that, kept, that have kept us minimizing who we are and what you've called us to and what's possible. And Jesus, we feel you breaking through all of those things. And so God, I ask that you'd speak to us and that you would reawaken us once again to what we get to be a part of, your bride, your church. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The house he is building. So we, we have a lot of animals at our house. Not because I love animals, but because I love my wife and I love my daughter. And they love animals. So we have two dogs. We have a family of guinea pigs, seven currently. And, and we pretty much had everything else that, that you could think of. And we have a farm of roaches in our garage. And it's supposed to be a business endeavor. Haven't sold a single roach. Thank you, Eric and Amber. You know, you guys sold this like amazing business. Anywho, I digress. So Heather is a teacher and she has or had uh, a couple guinea pigs in her classroom. Well, she's a science teacher. That makes sense. And summer break came and she's like, well, I can't keep these here in the classroom. So there was a student that would be willing to take them. And so the student took them home and there were two sisters, cute little guinea pigs. So a couple weeks later into the summer, Heather gets a phone call from this student, kind of freaking out because she's like, 
you know, already confused about the whole gender shenanigans uh, that they have to walk through. And then she's like, I don't know how this happened, but the two sisters had babies. So did you forget to teach something or like, I don't understand. Lo and behold, it wasn't two sisters. It was a boy and a girl that Heather sent them home with, these two little guinea pigs, and they had a summer party. And so they had babies. Can you imagine a little like sixth grade kid walks into the room thinking they has two girl guinea pigs and all of a sudden there's like babies lined up, you know? Anyway, uh, so we, of course, took the guinea pigs. So now, oh, and by the way, Heather's guinea pig or Haley's guinea pig had babies simultaneously. So now currently in my house, we have two guinea pigs, two moms with babies. Well, rewind the tape before our guinea pig had babies. Um you know, hugely pregnant, waddling around. And apparently guinea pigs, when they're pregnant, they pee a lot. And so, you know, it's just a mess. So we go on vacation a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and we had somebody house-sitting, and I don't see her here. Otherwise, I would personally apologize. We, okay, she's in the nursery. We had her house-sit for us while we were gone look after the dogs, right? And Haley had just cleaned the guinea pig cage right before we left. So we're gone for a week. And we drive all night. You remember the story with the whole like uh, eco mode thing and that whole shenanigans? Well, this was that trip, right? So we get home at, no joke, like two in the morning, drove all night and we're exhausted, ready to just absolutely crash. We get to the house so thankful. Like, just one of those, just leave everything in the car. Like, literally, we're all in our pajamas, just go to the bed. So we open up the door, and there's this <laughs> fragrance that's just oozing. I mean, it, before I even opened the door, I could smell it. You open the door, and it just, like, hit me. Guinea pig pee poop, just horrible. Oozing throughout the house, everywhere in the air conditioning vents. It's everywhere. Because unfortunately, pregnant guinea pigs, they just have to go to the bathroom a lot. So uh, for a whole week, the guinea pig cage has been getting worse and worse and worse. So finally, like, no joke. I mean, you walk in, you get a headache instantly. Our alarm was going off. Our carbon monoxide alarm started going off because it's so bad. Like I was thinking to myself, I'm gonna have to replace the furniture. It's this bad. So luckily the trailer, if you've ever been to my house, the trailer's in the front yard. So I, Haley and I, Haley couldn't even stand it. Haley and I sleep that night in the trailer. It was so bad. I was fuming. I'm like, how is this possible? What happened to my life? Anyway, so needless to say, we got it all cleaned up and Haley daily begs me, do I really have to get rid of the guinea pigs? Yeah. Haley, I'll let you have one. So now it's like, dad, can I have two guinea pigs? Can I keep two guinea pigs? No, you can't because two equals pregnancy and then it's a disaster. There's a point in this story and that's don't get guinea pigs. What, what I love about the gospel and what I love about the church that Jesus Christ came to build is that it has a fragrance. It has an aroma. The house 
has an aroma. It's the fragrance of Christ bleeding through our lives in a community. And if you've ever been in a community that is just beaming with life, not just life because people are excited, but life because Jesus is working something out in them and it's beautiful. And it seeps into the workplace and it seeps into the homes. And then when you invite people, it's like even by the parking lot, there's that sense of like, wow, surely the Lord is in this place. I believe that's heart church because I feel that. But it, it occurs to me that if we don't constantly go back to what this really is about, then, then I'm fearful that the church could be become something else that, that gives off a different fragrance. A place where lost people feel unwelcome, unwanted, and out of place. A place where the people that the house is really for come and open the door and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I feel like this is maybe not for me because I feel out of place, because I feel like if I'm not good enough, I don't belong here. If I don't perform, I don't belong here. You wouldn't want somebody like me in this place because this is like more of a country club than a hospital. This is a place where all the bright, shiny toys come who have their life together. And that's clearly not me. And what I love about Jesus and what I love about Heart Church is that Jesus was always fighting to create a place where people that don't feel like they're welcome are welcome. That's right. People who need the gospel feel like they're welcome before they've applied it in their life. We like to say that you belong before you behave. That's right. That you belong here. How many of that's a family you'd want to be a part of? Come on, let's create that at Heart Church. How many of that is... Heart Church, how many people have come to Heart Church and instantly felt like, I, I could feel like I belong here? Amen. That's a testimony of what we want to be about. And what I love about this story is that I can imagine the religious people, essentially they created an event. And this particular event was at Peter's house in Capernaum. And so the religious people are like creating, creating this epic like worship experience. They're creating a conference and they have an incredible guest speaker. His name is Jesus, the Messiah. And he's been walking about and we got him on our ticket. He's coming to this house. And they set up the chairs. They got the coffee. Their air conditioning is working amazingly, right? Like everything is good. They got little donut holes in the back and the kids ministry is rocking. Everything is set. The special people get reserved seating. Ever been to a church that says that? Reserve seating in the front and, and the, the pastors sit on the stage and it's all set. And the place is packed, packed. And it says that the Pharisees and the religious people, they were the ones that came from all over the community to be here with the Messiah. Yes. It's gonna be amazing. And the only bummer about this event, really the only thing that's missing is that they didn't make any room for anybody else. They didn't make any room for the people who actually needed that gathering. And the Bible says that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. 
the ones that came in thinking we're good. We're religious, we're elite. And come on, we're here to kind of judge Jesus. And the Bible says the power of the Lord was here to heal them. And not only did they get healed, but they made no room for what the house was really supposed to be about. So I wanna talk about three things that I feel like Jesus is setting the stage for as far as what our house is what our house is about, what this church is about. Because like I said, I believe it's the hope of the world. And I believe that we, each of us have an opportunity to move into the Center for the Arts right in the heart of the city and say, you know what? There's a fragrance that's gonna be coming from the Center for the Arts. And that fragrance may not, may not attract all the religious people in Escondido, who are just looking for more religion to make them feel good. But I think the fragrance is gonna attract people who are hurting, who are searching. And maybe they've had the religious experience, but they've like never experienced the goodness of God, the life of Jesus, that this walk is about connecting with him and having this intimate relationship and being a part of a family where you always feel welcome, where you always feel known and loved and seen. And I think that the fragrance that's gonna come from this church in that location is gonna attract those kinds of people. And so how many of you know, we need to make some room. We need to make some room for people who are far from God. And I think that, I think that's one of the central things that I wanna make sure that always is a part of our DNA is that at the end of the day, this isn't just about us. Now, of course it's for you. And of course I want you to come and feel like Jesus is speaking to you and that you're growing and that you're finding friendships, but there's more. He's called us to more. And frankly, we're gonna get into that. So one of the ways that we grow is that we go, oh, wow, my eyes can actually see beyond just me and realize that I can be a part of something bigger than me. And it's his church. So the first idea is this, church is messy, not manicured. It's messy. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's messy. It's messy. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're kind of a mess. You are a mess. And the power of the Lord was present to heal. And yet no one was getting healed. They had a great event. Place is packed. No one's getting healed. I want to diverge from this for a moment and talk about the very first time Jesus introduced the idea of his church. It's, it's beautiful. It's incredible. And we see it in Matthew chapter 16. See up on the screen. I'm not going to read the whole story, but essentially when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, by the way, we leave for Israel in two weeks. There's a group of 15 of us and we are going here. And he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now wait, before you move on from that. So just a little bit of context. Jesus wants to explain to his disciples that I'm going to build this thing called church. And th th there wasn't such a thing before. There was synagogues, there was religious establishments, but this thing called church that had the Konania fellowship, this beautiful thing that the spirit wanted to do with this group of people as a movement to change the planet, 
didn't exist. And I know that's hard for us to believe, but it didn't exist the way that Jesus intended. And so he was introducing the idea for the first time and he's like, I'm gonna build a church. And so he was going like, all right, I need to, I need to have an illustration because I really want my, my, my disciples to get it. Like I want them to see it. And I'm a visual guy. I, I'm sure Jesus was visual as well as his disciples and something about being in a place and seeing something. So he's like, disciples, we need to go on a field trip. Disciples, get in the church van. We're going. So Jesus is picking the spot that he's gonna go, that he's gonna lay out his plan for the church. And if it was me, I'd go to the Sea of Galilee. I'd walk out on the water and I'd bring the disciples out on the water. I'd be like, dude, this is majestic. Let me tell you about the church. It's gonna be awesome. Let me tell you all the nuances. It's gonna be incredible. Look around you. Wow, this is where we get to do it. This is awesome. But instead, Jesus decides to take them to Caesarea Philippi. Keep reading. In verse 18, I tell you that you, that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I want to explain this spot for a minute. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So this is Caesarea Philippi. It didn't look like that then. Back then, this was one of the strongholds of the Roman Empire. It was one of the most demonic places that you can imagine. And the reason for that is because of the gates of hell. The gates of hell was a, was a temple where they would sacrifice babies to the gods. God Zeus. And go to the next picture. This was the gates of hell. That's what they called it back then. And so I know that like in our Christian terms, we like use the gates of hell as like a gate for like actual hell, which, you know, symbolically you can use that analogy and that works. But what Jesus was actually referring to because they were there and he was pointing to it was the gates of hell, which is this abyss, which at the time you can see that little pillar on the right. And that was something that was standing back then. And it was a big temple. And they would bring sacrifices to the Greek god Zeus and they would throw babies into this um, gates of hell. And it was a very, very oppressive, dark place. And actually there's many theologians that believe that Jesus and disciples could not have gone to this city and that they actually sat up on a hillside and looked upon it because Christians, especially Jesus, would not be seen in this city because they, they would be dragged out and stoned. This was a very hellish place. And so when we talk about Jesus and when he's saying, I'm going to build my church, this is the place he decides to take them. To, to explain this incredible movement and all this excitement, enthusiasm, and like he's, this is his recruiting moment. You want to be a part of it? And he takes them here. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can talk you can take this when Jesus says on this rock, go back to that scripture on this rock, that word, this is important. This rock, there's a couple of different ways you can take this. This rock can be Jesus, can be Peter because he's naming Peter. I call you Peter, which means stone. Instead of wishy-washy Peter, Simon, I'm going to call you Peter, which means stone on this rock. I'm going to build it on solid people, cornerstone, which again, not theologically wrong. Although Jesus is the rock, not Peter. Second idea is that um, on this confession, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, on this confession, 
this, this solid cornerstone, Jesus, I'm building my church. Again, not wrong. But there's a third one that I think is really important that's easily overlooked, and it's the physical rock that they were standing on. Go back to the picture. The physical rock, it's a giant, the, the, the city's built on a giant boulder. And what Jesus is saying is, you see this rock we're standing on? I know, it's horrible. And it's disgraceful. And in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the places that seem most dark, in the middle of the families, in the middle of the, the cities that feel like, man, what's happening around us? Maybe we should just all move to Texas or move to Arizona. God bless you if you've moved to Texas. I see you. That's awesome. And there's a calling there too. But again, the mentality is, the mentality is, man, maybe we should go somewhere else that's not so horrible. And Jesus brought them to the mess. And he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So y'all can go somewhere else if you want, but I'm staying here and I'm building something amazing and not even the gates of hell are going to stand against my church because that's what I'm building. And, and it's messy. It's not manicured. And what I love about the story of Jesus in the house is that, is that these folks, they didn't make no, more, no room for the messy. And, and, and four guys come and blow the whole thing up. And Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about, people. Because it's messy. I wrote this. See, when we don't make room for the messy people, we're saying, there's no room for my mess. If we don't make room for people to come into these doors who can't behave, they just, they don't have it. Maybe they're not even saved. And they're like not acting like good Christians. They're doing things you're like, really? A good Christian wouldn't do that, right? But they, they don't know Jesus yet, right? If we don't make room for people who don't talk like us, don't know all the Christian lingo, don't know when in the song to raise your hands and do all those things, if we don't make room for those kinds of people, then what we're saying to ourselves is the moment that your life becomes even a little bit messy, this church also doesn't have room for that. So you better keep that mask on. You better make sure on Sunday that you're good to go. Otherwise, you might as well stay home because this church is holy. It's holy. That's what we do here. We do holy. Bring your Bible, Sunday best. Come on, let's do church. Mm, God's good, amen? And listen, I, I love the spiritual things as much as the rest of them. I love worship. I love lifting my hands. I love prayer. I love getting on my knees. I love pressing in to Jesus. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do all of that. But in the middle of all of our own personal pursuits to lean into Jesus, recognize that we are the fragrance of Christ to the unbeliever. And I want this place to continue to be a place where when they darken the doors of our church, when they open the door of our church, the fragrance isn't going to be, oh, y'all are just, y'all are too, good. you don't want my kind in there. Like I know about me and I know that I don't belong in there. Instead, it's like, come on, of course you belong. We love you. We're not after your behavior. 
We're after who you are. And that's the case for all of us. We welcome your mess. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. Wait, I can be me? It's kind of a game changer. Some of us don't even know how to do that. Let's learn together. Oh, I had something else to say about that, but I'm going to move on. The second thing that Jesus exemplifies is that we grow as we go. Oh, I'm so passionate about this. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and he tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. Um, <laughs> in comes the party crashers. They had a great meeting. I mean, I honestly, I don't think anyone in the audience was like, this is not going well. You know, like I thought Jesus was gonna bring his best stuff, but I've already heard this story. Like, I think they were going, this is incredible. We've never heard such authority. Like it's Jesus teaching the place is packed, right? Maybe we're not out of coffee, but we're good. And then some four guys come and they decide we're going to, we're going to interrupt the whole thing. We're going to cut a hole in the roof. <laughs> we're going to lower a guy down and blow up the whole meeting. And in the middle of all that, Jesus, he reprimands them. How dare you guys break up this holy meeting? Seriously? You could have waited outside. No, that's not what he does at all, does he? That's not what he does at all. In fact, he validates these four guys and say, that's what I'm talking about. There's faith. I see your faith. I see you. They, they didn't even come to the meeting. They, they were too busy dragging people to church, right? Like they, they were so busy doing that they just like, they missed the whole Bible study. Like they're going to have to catch it online afterwards. Because, because they, I mean, who knows how long it took them to break through the tiles and Jesus is like already on his third point. And the, you know, can't, piano player's already up there closing, you know, and, you know, uh, cl closing it down as the deer pants before the waters. Come just as you are. And here they come. And Jesus is like, oh, that's what it's about. Right there. I think, I think there's a, a fundamental misunderstanding about where growth comes from in the church at large. And, and I'm not saying that that's the case in this church or in many other churches, but I think in general, there's a fundamental misconception about how we grow. There's so much information out there. There's so many great Bible studies if you wanted to go to an epic, amazing, life-changing conference every weekend, you could. If you wanted to listen to the best sermon on podcast every day of the week and listen to a different preacher, you could. Incredible stuff. But is that how we grow? I wrote this. We think that growth is tied to another Bible study or spiritual experience, but Jesus would say it's tied to a stretcher.
Church is about carrying one another and having the humility to be carried. I love sermons. I'm glad you're here listening. I love Bible studies and I'm glad you're gonna go to life group. I love worship. I listen to worship songs all the time in my house, all the time in my car. I want you to do all that. But if we're not careful, we can buy into the narrative that it's like, if I'm in a slump, well, I just need another, just need another, uh, you know, Bible study hit. Give me another, give me another hit. Give, give me another opportunity to just get something more, consume more, consume more. And we just become consumers. And listen, I'm all about that. But I love this story because these four guys, like they missed the whole consuming idea altogether. And they're like filthy dirty because they've been dragging this guy probably barefoot through the dirty, dusty streets. They finally get to the roof. They're tearing the roof off, lowering him down. And Jesus is like, they're the ones that are actually growing in their faith instead of everybody that's hearing Jesus teach. That's quite a statement. There's something so powerful about the invitation for Jesus that he gives us to say, we grow as we go. Come on, come on, let's, let's, let's get our hands dirty. I love Joe Pineda. I met with him the very first time he came to church and he's like, how dirty are you willing to get? How deep into the mud, when you talk about serving our city and doing ministry, like how muddy are you willing to be? This was his question. Like he's deciding whether or not he's gonna come to our church and he's like, I want a pastor that's not gonna just talk the talk. Come on, let's grow as we go. Let's, let's come alongside one another. And I love Jesus because he's always saying things like this, like two or three are gathered in our midst. There I am. But it's not just like we're just together, but we're like, we're together in unity and we're carrying one another and we're being real with one another. That's why he says, if you have ought against your brother, this is such a powerful statement. If you have ought against your brother, I want you to leave your gift at the altar. Okay, hold on a second. So the context here is if you come to worship, and you're going before God, and you're like, I'm gonna grow here. I'm coming with my Bible study, and I'm like, come on, baby, I'm gonna get some growth on right here. Thank you, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, there's actually something going on between you and another person. So, so that's so powerful enough where Jesus is saying, I want you to actually lay that down for a moment because us reconciling, growing as we go, linking arms and hands with one another is so powerful that I'm saying it even trumps you just having a little Bible study by yourself because that's not just how you grow. Yes, do that. But it's about us linking arms with one another and saying, come on, let's work this out together. Let's do this. If you're on a stretcher tomorrow, I'm going to carry you because the day after that, I might be on one and you're going to carry me and I'm not too prideful to say I'm on a stretcher. It's very interesting. Meanwhile, the house is full of people in attendance who are sick because the Bible says the power of the Lord is there. Maybe they're not sick physically, but they're sick on the inside, sick with religion. And they were too proud to be on a stretcher, too ashamed to be carried, and too comfortable to think about anyone else. 
So something took place in the lives of those four guys because they said, you know what? We're not just going to go to a Bible study today. We're actually going to live out the gospel. And we know this guy and there's no way he could get there by himself. So we're going to go grab him. And as they went, come on, say as they went, something took place in their life as they went. By the time they were up on that rooftop, they were, there's, I guarantee you on the inside, they were being awakened by the goodness of God. They smelt the fragrance already oozing out of the house as they're digging that hole in that roof. And the same is with you guys. The same is with our church. When we engage, it lights you up on the inside. It makes it come alive. It makes this come alive. And so I believe that Jesus is calling Heart Church to continue to grow as we go. Let's do this together. Let's get involved. Let's dig deep with one another. It's so powerful. And lastly, an introduction is all that's needed. And so this story concludes here. I love that Jesus is saying, it's not just about sitting in a Bible study, but man, let's carry some people and let's be carried. Let's be willing to do that. But at the end of the day, these disciples, they came and they brought a very broke, physically broken guy. He, he was on a stretcher for a reason. It wasn't meta, metaphorically. Like he actually needed to be carried. Couldn't walk. And they're bringing him to Jesus who heals people physically. They lower him down and it says, and they lowered the sick man down on the mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. This is one of my favorite unexpected parts of the whole story. Jesus' first thing to say to this guy isn't like, hey guys, thank you so much. I realize the stretcher and everything, like he couldn't get here. You guys are awesome. Amazing faith. I can see that you're growing. I got it from here. You're healed. That's what they were expecting. And instead, Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. What? Jesus, you're the most frustrating Messiah ever. I could just see them like bending over and looking through the hole and they're watching this whole thing and they're like, you missed the point, Jesus. He's still on a stretcher. <laughs> like, I realize that you're the Messiah and like forgiving sins is good for you. Like, that's cool, but he's lame. <laughs> He's, he needs healing. And I, I just, I love this because so many times we assume we know what somebody needs. Man, I sure hope they get into church and God speaks to them about this little thing in their life. They need help. Right? Oh man, they came to church. Oh, sure hope they're listening. And I heard the hope they got that little thing because I've seen their lifestyle. And that's why this, this, and this, and why they're always a train wreck because of this. And so, man, I hope Jesus speaks to that and they better start behaving. Here's a little scripture for you. Here's a Bible study. You should really look into this because you're a train wreck. How arrogant of us to think that we know 
we take one glance at somebody's life and we have a little tiny piece, a little picture of what their life might be like. And the part that we see seems like a train wreck. And all of a sudden we know everything about them and what they need to do. And these four guys, they go through all this work to sacrificially get this man to Jesus. They lower him in and they go, we've done our part. It's not our job to say, hey, and Jesus, in addition, to, in addition to the whole like lame thing, talk to him about his language. He was cussing the whole way here. Fix him. No. Jesus, an introduction is all that's needed. Because when you meet Jesus, when he speaks to you, everything changes. People don't need us to tell them what they need to do. They need to encounter Jesus, which is why I'm always careful when people ask for counseling and things like, you know, Heather and I can give some words of advice and as can you, but at the end of the day, I don't know. You need Jesus. You need him. You need to encounter him. You need his presence in your life. He needs to change you on the inside, starting with, I love you. I accept you. I see that there's some, some things on the outside that everybody else looks at and says you're broken. But you know what I'm concerned? This is Jesus talking. You know what I'm concerned? Your heart. Let's start there. I love you. I accept you. I forgive you. You're not an outcast. Come on, that's the stuff that brings real change. And it starts with us. It starts recognizing, with recognizing Jesus accepts me. I don't have to pretend that I'm not on a stretcher. I just get to come before Jesus. And at the end of the day, our church is about introducing people to Jesus. We remove the obstacles, the religious obstacles or any other obstacle so that we can just simply, when we're inviting people to church or a Bible study, it's like, listen, I'm not introducing you to religion. I'm not introducing you to customs of values or rules and regulations. I'm just, I'm just hoping you get an introduction. That's it. Because that's all I got. And I stand before Jesus accepted and loved and he's doing something in me. And so I can say to others, come on, come on, like the door's open. There's a fragrance coming out of this place. And it's Jesus, he's the fragrance. It's not something we tried to build. Our lives are being transformed. It's him. Father God, I ask today that uh, we would never lose sight of the introduction. That tomorrow morning when we wake up, we would put our feet on the ground and we'd say, Jesus, I, I really need another introduction today. I wanna meet you afresh and anew today. Reawaken my heart. Forgive me for focusing on the wrong things and for getting down on myself and feeling shameful and letting condemnation seep in. 
today, Jesus, I welcome your introduction. Lord, would you help us to see others through that light? Forgive us in places where we've been judgmental, where we, where we think we know and where we've put labels on people or things. And God, I pray you'd give us your eyes to see the hurting and the lost and that one introduction can change it all. And that ultimately, Jesus, your church is still the hope of the world, that it's a house that you're building, a place where a beautiful, can, a beautiful introduction can take place each and every week. And so we say yes to that. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.